Wow. So, just so you know, we're in a conference called Converge. Many of you know it as the Baptist General Conference. You can still call it that if you want. Uh, that's the president of our, our, our denomination. You can make a gift to our Benevolent Fund if you'd like. Uh, we will make a gift to our conference from the Benevolent Fund. You can give through the app or just by using an envelope. And you can also go online there and just give directly uh, to Converge. So it's a great chance to help. And as he said, it's a great chance to be the church that God designed us to be. Why don't we pray and then we'll get started. God, thanks for this opportunity to be together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to help those in need, to be the light that you want us to be in our world. When there are disasters, you're always working, and we see you in ways that we aren't expecting, so I pray that that would be the case. Lord, I lift up those that are still suffering without power, without food, without water, those on the, the Caribbean islands that saw their entire world virtually destroyed in a six-hour period. God, will you please bring comfort and help the pastors that are in these areas just to know what to do and how to, how to not only feed their sheep but help the community around them. So, God, now we turn our attention to an incredible story. It's not a fairy tale. It really happened. It's about you and your work. It's about faithfulness and hope. And so let us revel in that today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the story of Joseph. We're starting this morning. It's going to be an incredible journey. Now, what you may not know is that the story of Joseph just isn't about a robe of many colors. And I know you were taught that in Sunday school. Some of that's all you know about Joseph. But it's in the story, but it's not really the point of the story. The story of Joseph isn't just about a man of integrity who was raised by God into a place of power, though that's certainly a part of the story. The star of the narrative isn't Joseph, though Joseph certainly is in the story. The star of the Joseph narrative is God. We are going to see God work in amazing ways. We're going to see that God always accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And we're going to see him do it in unexpected and amazing ways. Now, sometimes it's hard to see God. Sometimes it's hard to feel the presence of God or hear his voice. And when we're at those times in our lives, we ask, how do we trust him? How can we learn to obey him when we can't even see that he's here? Well, that's a process. It's a process whereby God is building faith into our lives. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph was born to lead. He was born into a family, the patriarchs. He was in the line of Christ. And God had a special plan for his life. And that incredible gift of faith of being raised in a home of the patriarchs will serve him well. Though we're going to find out that there was a lot of dysfunction in that family. But as the story unfolds, we land on a significant theological truth that will be with us during the entire narrative. And that is that using human efforts and at times in spite of human actions... 
God always accomplishes his will. He always does. His purposes are ongoing. And so this is going to be a walk through Genesis that is going to be incredible to see. And here's what I want for you. I want you to be encouraged. And the theme verse, if you, if you look, it's, it's right at the end uh, of the narrative. But the theme is this in, John, in Genesis 15:20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So what is it in your life today? Is it heartbreak over children, over finances? Is it marriage? Is it other issues that you can't or don't dare talk about? Just know that even though it's hard to hear and see God, it's hard to feel him, that he never stops. He always moves forward. God is always working. So that's what we're going to be learning about and and really learning to trust God through difficult times. So, take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. We're going to begin in verse 1. You can grab that Bible in front of you. It's on page 31. And as Neil said, you can just pop open your app. You push the media tab, and then push the Life of Joseph tab under Sermon Study Notes. You can punch in your own sermon notes. You'll have an outline there, and you'll have some study notes to take home with you or to use in a small group. So, Genesis 37 beginning in verse 1. Now, one of the key things about this narrative is that it serves as a bridge in the story of Israel. So you have the old Israel, if you want to call it that, the patriarchs, the promises given to Abraham, and then you have the story of Joseph, which goes from there to the groaning of the slaves in Egypt. So that's the bridge. So it's like an action step. You have all the promises given to Abraham. You will father a great nation. You will be a blessing to the nations because of Messiah. And now there's an action step. God has to take Israel and allow her to prosper. And so what God is doing here has incredible meaning. He is building the nation of Israel, saving the nation of Israel, so that Jesus could come into the world. And that's what this narrative does. It takes us to that point. And in the very first verses here, we see the beginning of the journey, but it's really a, a contextual setup to help us understand what's going on. In one and the first portion of two, we see what's happening here in the narrative. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. You can think of Canaan as, as where Israel is now, a bit bigger, but that helps you get some, some context. These are the generations of Jacob. And so immediately we see that the narrative is helping us take a step forward. The narrative leaves Jacob for Joseph. Jacob, the father of Joseph, we've been following that narrative, and we'll refer to that narrative today, but we're going to leave the patriarchs behind. And we're going to now dive into this bridge, this man named Joseph who means so much to the story of Israel. Now, one thing you'll see very clearly in this story is that Jacob, the father of Joseph, is watching over a family that is rife with tension. And the brothers who are supposed to be helping Joseph and supporting him, are the antagonists of the story. But God's will and purpose is so strong 
that he even takes these brothers and they become the fathers of the tribes of Israel. So you have this incredible narrative now that leaves the patriarchs and sends us toward Egypt. And I'll give you a quick timeline here just so you can put it all in context. This is Abraham, of course, the, the one who received the promises of God, who in Genesis 12 we see received the land, seed, and blessing promise. And then that was all the way back in 2166 B.C. And we're working forward because it's before, it's the B.C. And so you have Isaac and then you have Jacob, the father of Joseph. And Joseph pops up here in 1915 B.C. Now, that's a long time ago. But what's important here is that this is the line of Christ. It is through this line that Jesus will be born. And so what the father needs to do is he needs to protect this line. He needs to protect Israel. But as the story unfolds, we'll see that Israel is in danger. And all of the things that happened to Joseph, all of it is about getting Israel into a place where it could thrive. This story is different than other stories in Genesis. When you, when you talk about the patriarchs, you have significant encounters with God. They're easy to see. You have the incredible encounters of Abraham. You have Jacob and his wrestling. You have these encounters. With Joseph, it's all implicit. The, the work of God is, is, is almost hidden. And so a measure of faith and trust is built into this narrative because you can't always see what God is doing. And if you're Joseph, there had to be years upon years where you didn't know what God was up to. And we're going to see God's implicit work here, and it's going to be exciting to see. But it also has incredible, it has incredible realities for our own life that we can pull from this. Because there are times in our lives when we go through trials, when we go through periods of darkness, that we can't always see God. But what this narrative will help us to be assured about is that God is still there. He's still working. And so for me, in my life, I have two significant periods of darkness. The first period occurred when my wife Jody passed away from cancer. And I remember thinking, here I, here I was left with three children. It's a good thing that I was an expert cook, vacuumer, and laundry person. But I many times said, what are you doing, God? I can't take care of these children. And then, and then when, when you're laying in bed in the middle of the night and you hear your kids cry out, I want my mom. What do you do with that? Where, where is God in that? And then the, the, the other significant dark time that you know about is when our son Taylor was shot and killed. And Wendy and I had to grapple with, what are you doing, God? Where are you when the detectives show up at the door? Where are you when we visit a killer in prison and we just can't even understand how it's all unraveling? Through all of it, God has consistently told us one thing. I am here. I am working. And it's all been a journey of faith. And so have we always come out of it Smiling and happy with Christianese and the Christian lingo down? No. But we have been deepened. 
And so, even though we really still don't know what God is doing, we trust that God is working. A couple of years ago, before I even started talking to Ridgewood, we were, I was flying with the twins, and we were coming in to see some family. And it was a typical Minnesota summer night. You know, with storms everywhere, and they fly. And it doesn't matter what the weather is. They're going to they're gonna go for it. I had a pilot one time. I was coming from Chicago, and he said, we're going to try to get in before that storm hits. We're the last plane in. I thought, you're going to try? Like, I want to be on another plane where they're not trying things like that. But we're getting bounced around pretty good, you know, and you can't see much. There's lightning everywhere, and... And, you know, I'm clenching my fist, not letting the twins see that I want to get off this plane now. And I'm saying, hey, this is like a roller coaster. Isn't this fun? And they're going like, yeah, you know. And it was one of those nights where you look out and you can't even see, you can't see the ground. You can't even see the lights on the wings. And you can't see the pilot. And you have no idea what's going to happen next, except for you have to trust that even though you can't see those things, that they're there. The wings are there. Pilots there, the instruments are working, and sure enough, when we landed, we discovered that everything was fine. Many times, that's the way it is in a walk with God. You don't always feel it, you don't always see it, you don't always hear it. But you trust it because you know theologically and because you're a believer that God is working even though it's not always obvious to see. That's going to be a really important part of this Joseph narrative. The implicit, hidden work of God. Ending in, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. This is also backed up by Paul in Romans. He said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so we can trust that God is always working for good, even when we don't understand it. Even when it seems that everything is spiraling out of control, God is still working. So we leave now the patriarchs. We're headed for Egypt. We're going to walk by faith, and now we're going to meet Joseph. So look at the second half of verse 2 and verse 4. The narrative here begins of Joseph's life. And skillfully and quickly, we're told everything we need to know in just a paragraph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So we're introduced to Joseph as this obedient 17-year-old boy who was almost embarrassingly doted on by his father. And you already have a rift developing. There's already this blended family going on because Joseph and Benjamin are kind of a family to themselves. And then you have Joseph half-brothers who are already jealous, and the robe stirs the pot. Because this was a regal robe. It was a sign of favor. It was a sign of the birthright, even though Joseph was the youngest brother. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. So what do you have here? You have a narrative that is set 
intention. This narrative has incredible tension in the family. And the motif of tension and deceit is all over this. And what you have here is this father who should have known better than to favor his children, given the fact that he grew up in a home of favoritism that was riddled with lies and deceit. And so, as we look at this, we remember back to Jacob and Esau, his brother, in Genesis 25. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And now, we've got Jacob, who's favoring Joseph. So, Isaac loves Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob it's really interesting to me when I, when I read through these Old Testament patriarchs. They are flawed human beings. But it's the work of God that matters. And, and Jacob, he, he was reckless in his life. He came into the world kicking his way out of the womb. And then he tricked his brother to gain the birthright. There was an attempted murder, separation and estrangement in the family. All because of favoritism. And now we're seeing it played out all over again. Jacob didn't learn his lesson. And although this isn't really the point of the story, it it bears just pausing here for a moment and and understanding that we just don't favor one of your children. It leads to disaster. And and there are going to be times when one of your children, that you have an affinity toward that one, and and there's there's maybe a common interest. Or there are going to be times when one of your children is driving you absolutely crazy. And so you'd rather just go over and talk to the one that's not. But having raised about a thousand kids, I can tell you this. That God is asking you to invest in each one. And it's not always going to be easy. And I've learned the hard way in my life that just being in the same room with a child is not the same thing as investing in them. Don't favor a child. And if you, are in a, if you are in a home or are a product of that kind of an environment, I want you to know that that hole that you feel in your heart can be filled by Jesus. Because even though you may have grown up in a home where you weren't loved like you should have been, Jesus never stopped loving you. And he loves you today. And so this is the kind of home Joseph is growing up in. It's full of familial tension. There's deceit that's going to happen. It's a narrative that comes together, though, and we're going to end up in Egypt, and Israel is going to be saved by God. Here's the other really important part of the narrative as we go forward. That Joseph gives us a foretaste of Jesus. The the suffering one, the exalted one, the forgiving one. And so Joseph foreshadows Christ. And we're going to see Jesus through this entire Narrative. Now, you know that the Old Testament is always looking forward to the cross. And so, as we march toward the cross, we see Joseph as a key player in this, not only because of what God is doing through him, but because of the incredible typology or the shadowing of Jesus that we see in Joseph. And we're going to have to stop and pay attention to this because we're going to see Christ all over this narrative. It is proper to say this is really Jesus slash Joseph that we're talking about here.
Because Joseph has Christ written all over him. Now, in the Old Testament, as we look forward to Christ, we can go all the way back into Genesis, all the way back into Adam and Eve, and we see Jesus. We see God graciously clothing them after the rebellion. But what had to happen? An animal had to be slaughtered the first time. Sacrifice. Foreshadowing. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, all the way back in Adam and Eve. Then, of course, we see Isaac and Abraham. We see Isaac saved by the ram that showed up in the, in the thicket, and he's saved. So that's a type of Christ, salvation. Jonah was referred to by Jesus. Three days in the belly of a whale, and then saved. And so Joseph is part of that typology. It's incredible as we go along, the mirror of his life to Jesus. And we're going to see this more here in verse 4. The hints of Messiah are all over the place. We have the favored son, favored by his father, but rejected by Israel, his brothers. Verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Who does that remind you of in Jesus' life? That's Israel. That's the religious leaders that turned on him. The ones that were supposed to embrace him turned on him. And so, Jesus, like Joseph, ran into political trouble and people that hated him and were jealous of him. And we must understand that as we watch this narrative play out, that Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me is always going to be in the shadows of this narrative. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to Christ, I don't want you to let this narrative go by without examining who you are with Jesus. In Jesus, we have the one, like Joseph, who came and did not, did not have ill harm toward anyone. Jesus came bringing peace, bringing reconciliation, bringing love, but then running into angry angry mobs and, and political assassins, and he was, he was crucified on a Roman cross, and he was left for dead. Joseph is going to be left for dead. But Jesus miraculously rose again. And now he's exalted at the right hand of his father where he belongs. Joseph will be exalted. Jesus Christ did all of this for you and for me. He did all of this so that we could have hope beyond what we see now and hope for the future. Because we have to understand, in order to find peace in this world that we live in, which has gone absolutely crazy, I think, although I think it's been this way pretty much all the time, the only way to find peace is to remember who we really are. If we are followers of Christ, this is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. And we must stop and remember that in this narrative. And so I offer Christ to you. And we're going to have a chance right at the end of the service to think this over. And if you, even if you are a believer, how, how much have you stepped into that relationship What part of you are you holding back? And we're going to see that God, if we give him everything, is never going to let us down. So this narrative will do that for us. It's it's an undergirding precept that God is always working. He never stops. He's faithfully going to save Israel. And the author here, who is Moses, helps us to see all of this in a dream. And we're going to talk about the dream next week.
But verse 4 says a lot. Father loved him more than all his brothers. And they, they hated him for it. Jesus, if you flip the coin, was loved properly by his father and was hated for it. So the focus is on God. The focus is on his marvelous work. And it's hidden, it's implicit, it's hard to see. But let me just encourage you this morning that whatever you're facing in your life, that God is always working, even when you can't necessarily see it. What is it in your life? Is it your marriage? Are you thinking to yourself, I can't go another day? We, we, we've been struggling so long. Or a spouse has abandoned you. Let me encourage you that God is always working. Is it finances? You sit down and you put all your bills out and you go like this. We're not, make, we're not going to make it. Let me encourage you that God is always working. And maybe it's something that you can't even talk about. Maybe it's an addiction. And it doesn't have to be to alcohol or drugs. It could be to pornography. It could be even to social media. Something that's grabbing your heart that you can't pull away from. And you're frustrated and you're discouraged. And you think nothing's ever going to change. That's not true. Because God is always working. You may not see it, but he is. Maybe you're, you're just scared. You're afraid to die. Your, your body's not working very well. And you're looking around going, where is God in this? He's there. Kids. Nothing brings more joy or more heartache than children and grandchildren. And so whatever that child is that you're praying like crazy for, and you're saying, would you please, God, just bring that child back? The one that's wandering, I can tell you that it may not seem like your prayers are going anywhere, but God is working. God is listening. God cares. Maybe you're going through life and you've been abused and you don't know how to talk about it. The Christian world doesn't like to talk about it, but you have this massive hole in your heart. And you, and you think to yourself, I'll never, ever be whole. It's not true. Because God is always working. And then there's just straight out loneliness. You know, you don't fit in. can't find friends. You feel like you don't belong anywhere. If you give that to God, he can send incredible peace into your life and help you because he's always working. And how do we know that? We know that because he sent his only son into the world to save us from our sin while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's how we know that. We know that by looking at narratives like this. Because we know the end of the story. But the narrative is still good. We don't care if we know the end of the story. The end of the story is exaltation and forgiveness and peace. And that's what God is doing in your life right now. And so as Joseph looked at his brothers at the end of the story, and he said to them, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. We can take joy in the fact that even when harm is befalling us, or trials are hitting us, that God's purpose will shine through. So, I want you to just take a minute, and we're going to just pray silently together. And I want to give you a chance to... Think about the areas of your life that you would really like to be impacted as we go through the next few weeks in this narrative.
What are the areas that you're holding on to, that you're having a hard time giving up? What are the areas that you're thinking to yourself, I don't think I can ever be whole? We take a couple of minutes and pray, and now is for identifying nothing's going to change in two minutes, but maybe God will do something in your heart. So just pray and receive whatever God has for you. God, I can think of areas in my life that need to be made whole, areas that need to be relinquished, areas that I need to trust. And God, it's hard to it's hard to see you work above all the noise of our culture, all the distractions. It's hard to see you work because it takes a lot longer than we want. And sometimes we don't even live to see the answer. But God, help us to grow in our faith. Help us to trust you. Bring peace into our souls because we know you are there. And we don't have to fix everything. We don't have to. We don't have to try so hard. We don't have to control our environment. We don't have to control people. Because you're working. You're doing that. You're you're making everything right and whole. So, God, I just pray that you would help us. Help us to see you in a new way. And as a church, help this narrative to flood into the life of our church so that we can move out and reach our community for the love of Christ, regardless of the risk, regardless of how hard it is, regardless of the enemy that is going to come after us. Help us to trust you more. Thank you that you're always working. Thank you that even when people mean harm, you mean it for good. That's an incredible promise. So, God, we sing now. We celebrate. We soak in. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand if you're able?